This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bucknutters. It is Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning Five and Change. Those of you on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as we're signing on now, I can see you. Welcome to the show. Very special show for you today. One probably been working on for 20 years or so. This is my oldest friend in the business. This is John Kime. Redskins. Rep- ha. Over under one, put it on there. We said 3.5 for the show. Washington Commanders beat writer for ESPN.com. But perhaps more importantly, and definitely more importantly for this show, Lakewood native, Ohio State graduate, former editor, sports editor of The Lantern, and just a fine Buckeye altogether. John, as you can see over his right shoulder, the – Yellowing newspaper of greatness. John, how are you? Welcome to the show. I am great, and it's great to be here, Dan. I'm, it's it's nice to have like these conversations here versus just on the phone, you know? John and I have been uh, rapping about the Buckeyes for as long as I can remember. Um, John is the first guy I realized if you called him and talked about the Miami touchdown you could take 40 minutes out of his day purposely. I used to do that as a joke. It wasn't very funny, but we're going to talk about John's history. John, of course, in my opinion, is the finest NFL beat writer there is. He covers the commanders, and he has been forced to do that for almost 30 years now. So while he hasn't had a chance to cover a Super Bowl, I believe his first season or second season was the year after. Um, he's he's seen plenty, man. Um his tell-all book, when he retires, is going to be a bestseller, and uh, I hope I get some editing credits on that because I'll be a rich man. But we're going to talk about his background first. John is, like I said, a devoted Buckeye. I want you to tell the story of your commitment to Ohio State to get the show started. Sure. Well, I grew up in – first of all, I grew up in Cleveland, right, or in Lakewood, so Cleveland area. And my, I always thought the natural progression for people who went, who lived in my area was you go to Garfield Elementary, Emerson Middle School, Lakewood High School, and then Ohio State. Like, why would you go somewhere else? This is like, they're the best team in the one, you know, why would you go, not go to Ohio State? Then as I got older, I realized, oh, people actually may care about things other than football. So that I understood a little bit more. But we get to high school, play high school football, play high school sports. I'm in chemistry class one day. And I told my chemistry teacher, I'm going to Ohio State for football. And he said, you're not good enough to play there. And I said, I didn't say I was going there to play. 
So that's where that's where it started. Now, I will say Ohio State had a good journalism program. That was a big lore. That was, let me say this, that was the excuse to go there, I think. Like I made it work because they had a good journalism program. But that was that's the that's the little commitment story that that I like to tell. It was the only school that I applied to, but it, it, back then, Dan, if you applied and lived in state, you got in as long as I you stayed in by the deadline. So that was the only school I applied to. Yeah, things have definitely changed. It's now harder to get into Ohio State in-state than Miami of Ohio. Trust me, I have college-bound children. Talk about a little bit your time at Ohio State. Um, you you were there for some very memorable times. Um, I think they're a little bit more successful these days. But when we were talking before the show about some of the things you got to see when you were on the beat, um, I know we used to talk at length about Gary Williams when he was yeah. back in our stomp back home, but tell everybody what it was like to be the Mr. Uh, Lantern. Well, for, let's, I'm going to go back to the first Ohio State Michigan game. If people, the, for the older crowd and for the younger crowd, I would Google this. Mike Lanise, he had this tremendous catch on third down against Michigan that basically clinched the game and allowed them to get to the Rose Bowl. And my favorite memory was, and even now when I hear the song, is being on the field and hearing the mamas and papas singing California Dreaming because they clinched a spot in the Rose Bowl. But if you Google Mike Lanise and go back and look at that third down catch, that was my first big memory at Ohio State. Um, then that didn't involve Papa, Papa Joe's. Um, but then, then you go to I was the beat writer for uh, at the at Ohio State. You take a class to be part of the lantern to work on the lantern. And the the when I was a reporter, I wanted to cover the basketball team. That was Gary Williams's first year. I ended up covering his three seasons at Ohio State. First for the lantern. And then for um, like, I think it was Buckeye Sports Bulletin and a couple other publications like that and got to know Gary very well. Um, I, I think he tried. I'll say this. He liked me a lot because I was always at practice. I was there every practice. No other beat reporter for the dispatch. Nobody else was there at every practice. And so Gary Williams would, would tell me stuff or I would go in. Dan, I was a student reporter going into his office the day after games for sit-down interviews for 45 minutes. Times have changed. If they lost, I would get a call from the secretary and saying, uh, Gary's not going to have this today. But if they won, it was an hour. And I'd be in there and John Feinstein's calling and he's, he's on a great mood. He was so good for me to cover because he's so, so insightful. And to the point where he asked me if, hey, if we have a, a student – um, and a, a potential recruit who is interested in journalism, would you show them around? May have been a conflict of interest at the time. It never came to that. So I'm glad I didn't have to face that. But that's the relationship I had. Now, in the end, um, I think he's, you know, he was going through a divorce. He's going through some tough, tougher times. I think I started to annoy him a little bit because I was always there. And but that's just Gary was up and down. Great coach. Great times. Blah, blah, blah. As a but the last day of my winter quarter, Dan, I wake up in the morning. And you're thinking, okay, last day of the quarter, had a good time covering the basketball team. Uh, this is going to end easily. Get a call. Woody Hayes died. So that was the day, like, and it was all hands on deck. And I'm walking over there thinking, oh, we're going to do a few stories, like whatever. Everybody on the paper ended up writing something. And it was the maybe one of the best editions the Lantern ever put out because of the topic, Woody Hayes. But because there was so much passion and energy involved in the publication, nothing was pre-written. Whereas you look at, like, I would go back to the dispatch. I remember reading the dispatch's coverage. 
and it was it was pre-written and there were a lot of things and it wasn't bad it wasn't bad but i think the separated ours is there was a lot of pa passion energy in it because it was all hands on deck i mean everybody's sure. working on it. i'm calling the white house and do this so then we flash forward to when i'm the sports editor and during that time is when earl bruce gets fired and there was all sort you know there was the controversy over that you have people going to his house and you know the band going to his house and and, and playing and um, you know, that was, that was another obviously big story that, that occurred when I was there. And it was, you know, it was an interesting time because I mean, Earl nine and three every year. Um, and, but he was, he had that legacy too. And it was, you know, it was, it was a, a fun, actually for a sports, there was a fun time because a lot was going on. Yeah. And I also remember, I also went to his last game, which or the last regular season game at Michigan that year when he when he was a coach and he's in the fedora and all that. And my, my wife, then girlfriend and I were in the stands and the, the Michigan alums and all that, the people around us were very kind, giving us food, giving us food until Ohio state started winning and Carlos snow runs on the sideline to touchdown. And then people stop being quite as nice. And one guy takes my hat off and throws it behind him. He's like, I don't like you. And I said, well, you're not on my Christmas card list either, pal. But I will say, by and large, they were very friendly still. It's just that they were a little bit quieter, which I quite enjoyed. So I will say this about John. John is one of the guys I learned from. And these things have changed for sports writers. But when John and I got in the business, you couldn't write I. You couldn't get your opinion out there and such. And now things have completely changed. But uh, John's main thing was always the Buckeyes. It was the one thing where he would kind of get disheveled and – you know, he's Johnny Midwest straight down the, the middle guy. But when you get the Buckeyes going, he would be uh, clueless, I would say, from his, uh, <laughs> his base. Now that you have a chance to be a fan of the team and you've kind of maintained that, I've tried to get John to switch to the slantern. Um, I'm noticing it was – that's hilarious. i got to show that. Um, and uh, that's great. Oh, we got to talk about that in a second. We've got an injury here to Evan Pryor. We will get to that. Believe oh, me, there's current events that, that's coming up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, let's let's actually talk about that real quick. We are getting word that Evan Pryor possibly could have been injured. We will have complete coverage of that. Practice is open today and the guys will be there. So um, he is injured. Uh, what we're waiting for now is just when it's a knee injury, you got to just wait. There's obviously going to be some x-ray or it's terrible. You know, if you find out it's an ACL or whatever. So, uh, we are not not talking about that, but we are we are going to hit that when we have a little bit of more information. But let's talk about the current team, John. Um, you don't get fired up about much, but uh, I did receive some texts from John during the Oregon game last year, in which I thought I might have to alert the Northern authorities. Uh, he was not pleased. Um, your thoughts on the team this year? Your expectations? Stuff like that. What, what, do you go into every season like every other buck nutter? And like we said, John is well aware it's buck nuts, not buck rational observer. My favorite line. Thank you. Um, what are your expectations for the team this year? Well, they're very high. And I will say, Dan, like, I think I feel like I know when they should be really good. Right. And there's some years where you say, okay, you think because you're Ohio State, you should win every game, but you know, they lost this and this on offense. It's hard to replace this, hard to place all this on defense. So here's a real, like, could they win every game? Sure, because you have this talent, but it's not always 
um, the rational <laughs> um, viewpoint, right? So I feel like I'm able to see it. And I'm also able to see like, hey, if you don't win, if they can't beat team X, Y, or Z, then they're not good enough to win a national championship. And that's okay. Like the, the Clemson game a couple years ago was a was one of the more difficult ones for me to take as a, as a fan because I felt like they were good enough to win it all. They had everything. And like there's some Sean years. Wade game. Yeah, Sean Wade game. Like, and then, you know, in the Alabama championship game, even if they're not, even if they're COVID free, I don't know that they win that game, right? So it did like the beating Clemson that year was to me their big one because you kind of knew that Alabama was 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 just better, right? And that's okay, I can accept that. This year they should be really good, obviously, and obviously the defense will be the key. Does Jim Knowles come in and change it in one year? I think if you can come in and and um, first of all, I think that defensive line to me national championships. You get that defensive line going, that's the big step. Quarterback, defensive line, and then it falls from there. And so if they can get the ends going, um, you know, I think they're going to be in good shape, right? And, you know, so that to me is the key. Um, can they get it under Knowles in one year? I think you can. I, you don't have to be great. You have to be good. Just be consistently good. Don't, you know, have an answer when Oregon's running the same damn play five times in a row, have an answer for that. Make some level of adjustment for that. If you do that, you'll be in better shape. So, you know, change that you can change things up a little bit. Don't just, I always, it always drives me nuts when they kind of rely on, Hey, we're Ohio state. We're just going to be better. than You You can't just operate that way all the time, not against every team. So, you know, um, then offensively, I mean, obviously the talent is there. The big question to me is, can they run the ball consistently? And, and establish that because late in the year it was too much one, two, one, two, one, two yards, two yards, then a big run. And you've got to have some level of consistency. And I, my problem with that, obviously they had all the tackles up front, but it also seemed like there was confusion too often in the schemes. And you'd see one lineman pulling this way, the other lineman kind of cutting them off and like, well, who's supposed to be doing what? And then the back is going to be screwed up because of that. So if you can run the ball better, more consistently, you have a big time back, big time back, a couple of them. And, you know, and hopefully Evan Pryor is okay. And he'll be one of those guys. Cause I mean, he's got talent too, but if you can do that, then I think it will be a very special year. And I don't see any reason why they can't do that because it, again, the, the talent is there um, on both sides of the ball. You know, I think they're, they're talented enough defensively to be much better than they've been. I would agree with that. I also think the fact that Halfley came in here and did it in a year, at least shows you that, right. that, you know, 52 pickup can be successful in right. one year. And I really do think the more that I'm hearing out of practice and stuff, you're going to have not only is this season going to be the exaltation of Jim Knowles, you're going to get people just really pissed about the last couple of years on yes. defense. Yeah. You're going to get a lot more of the, wait a minute here. It shouldn't be this easy to fix things. Right. And um, like you said, um, this will be our segue. Uh, you need the defensive end. Right. I mean, when I look at Ohio State and, like you said, feel like you can really go in there and take Tricky Nick's head off, it's because you had one of the Bosa brothers and one of the... Uh... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Or Chase Young, which brings me to this. Or, or like, you go, like you look at this game, that Will Smith, you know, guys yeah. like that. Like that team was, that defensive exactly. line was awesome. And it's like when you have that, look at the teams that win titles. You look at the defensive lines, it starts there. It really does. So that's why if they can do that, but, but anyway, let's go. No, definitely. So John covers the commanders and it's very, very interesting guys. When you cover a team in the NFL, much like you guys have experienced when you're, when you're listening to coverage of the Buckeyes, I would hope that you would understand that, um, you know, here at Bucknuts, we get a little more in depth than the national coverage. So when you go national coverage on something, it's different. So what's, you know, Chase Young left here as a star. He arrived as a star and got a lot of credit. If you go to D.C. now, there are plenty of people, including a few in the media, who are – Chase Young is on his way to not being what they wanted. Bring us up to speed on where Chase is from a general sense. Uh, there's, You know, he's been injured. He wasn't the werewolf that we expected. I'm not sure I totally expected it as early as some others, but – He's, I'm not to say he's at a crossroads, but in terms of being that dominant force, number two pick in the draft, pick before Justin Herbert, he's kind of not shown that yet. And there's, a, I think, at least a little bit of concern. Yeah, and what right now he's still rehabbing from his ACL. He tore that in mid-November, so the, and it was, it was reconstructive surgery. That means that the, the timetable is a little bit longer than it for a normal ACL repair. So we don't know when he's going to come back. He's working on a side field during practice, doing a little bit of stuff. He can run, can run straight. As you know, with the ACL, it's always not about running straight. It's lateral movement. And so, but he can do that. He's running pretty well. And he's, he's, looks like he's in great shape as he always is, but we don't know yet when he's coming back. Definitely going to miss the opener. It wouldn't shock me if he misses at least four games, maybe up to six or so, Uh, but we don't know yet. So when he comes back, He's got to then show he can be the pass rusher that they think he can still be. Part of the problem, Dan, Lazar, his rookie year was two halves of the year. First half, he was dealing a little bit with the hip injury, but he also, on his pass rushes, they felt like he was too straight on with guys. Like he's got the quickness off the ball. They wanted him to attack half of the tackle. So if he's going straight ahead, he's losing his ability to, you know, to win with that quickness and the hand, the hand strength, the hand violence that he can play with. So he started doing that in the second half of the year. Hip gets better, attacking more half of the uh, blocker uh, and started winning more. And he was making plays. He was he was creating problems in the backfield, even when he wasn't getting the sacks. Right. He was doing what they thought he could. Right. And, and then that led into last year, really high expectations for him. In the offseason, he focused a lot on strengthening his ankle so he could turn the corner better and do some of those things that he wasn't really, isn't necessarily his game, right? He's not Von Miller, but he wanted to get better in that area to strengthen his ankles and get a little bit more dip and all that. Well, as a pass rusher in the first half year before getting hurt, one I think it was one and a half sacks, too often what you'd see him trying to win in ways that he hadn't the previous year. So he'd come off the ball, take two steps, and then start to stutter step. When he would do that, he's losing the hand strength that he plays with. You'd see him like he's going nowhere when he's doing that, and he wasn't getting the effective rushes. His effective rushes came either he stutter stepped right away, kind of get it and then go, or he would just go and pick a side. And he wasn't always getting the sack, but he would put more pressure on. 
That's what they want to see more of. Get, you know, I know the stutter stepping drove them nuts. If he can get away from that, which he can, because that's not a talent thing, that's a approach thing, right? It's or you know, it's just a, don't do that. And and I, and he didn't the year before as much. So I think he can get back to that if he kind of scraps that method of rushing. Um, he's still very very talented, and I would not like. It's way too early to to put him on this. Hey, he's not going to do it. I was talking to Ryan Kerrigan, who was his teammate, just retired. Very good defensive end for Washington for years, all-time sack leader. And I was talking to him about that. Well, how long did it take you to mature as a pass rusher? He said, it wasn't until my fourth year where I felt like I really knew how to do that. Chase came in there and was winning a lot on talent, right? And it take, you have to, like, when you watch Bosa, I remember watching Bosa in the first game against Washington last year. He rushes with a plan. He can set guys up, and you would see it outside, both outside, of them. outside, both of them. But outside, 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 fake, inside, gotcha. And, like, you saw the plan that he rushed with. I think with Chase needs to still get there, but that's a developing thing. But also, like, if he just gets back to rushing the way they want, he can be very effective still. Yeah, I think he's under a lot of pressure. It's – I also think when you go from – like, the Boses, they were kind of ready-made warriors when they got here. They were raised by a former pro defensive end. Their uncle's a defensive end. They were as ready to, I mean, Joey Bosa was a starter as a freshman here on the defensive line around pros and was very, very good. That is almost unheard of. Right. Um, Chase doesn't have that array of moves or right. that, that pedigree. So it's going to be a little harder for him to adjust, I think. Uh, and I think some of it is just, again, it's a mindset. And I think the other thing they want to get him into is understanding like when you're rushing, how you sometimes then have to set other guys up and play within that scheme. And you can still do things, but playing within that is another minor thing for them. But really the first thing is the approach as a pass rusher. Yep. Well, I guess what I was trying to say is I thought, I think the Boses would have been successful had they gone to, uh, you know, Western Washington. Uh, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have mattered. I do think Chase benefited. He came from DeMatha, which is as good a program as you can be in. Um, he went to Ohio State, played for Larry Johnson, which is as good as you can go for structure. And then he went to a place that's known for no structure. And the defensive line coach, by the way, was fired last week. So I don't know if he went into as stable a situation. And um, I think when that gets worked out and he gets a little chance to, you know, gets healthy, I still think the sky's the limit for Chase. Yeah, me too. The most interesting one, though, is Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. I think you'd have you'd be hard pressed. When I talk to Commanders fans or guys from back home, they kind of find it hard to believe that Terry McLaurin was like I thought he'd be a great gunner. Yeah. He was the best gunner I ever saw on special teams. He never took a snap at Ohio State as anything higher than the number three receiver. And Curtis Samuel got the ball more his senior year than I think any Buckeye in the history of the team. If you were to ask the regular uh, Commanders fan on the street to compare the two, they would laugh at you. Terry McLaurin is arguably, I don't think it's arguable, the most popular player on the team um, in every way. And Curtis Samuel is the roll-your-eyes guy. All people check to see is if he's hurt or not. So it's amazing the transformation you can go through. Also, he hello, their bank accounts have changed. Now, shed no tears for Curtis, but Terry McLaurin is now, you know, one of the wealthiest 
former Buckeyes on the earth. Talk about those two guys, the transformation they've gone through, and also just about how McLaurin, I think he was a third-round draft pick, if not the fourth, is literally the top player on the team. Well, when they drafted McLaurin, too, and and just like you said, they drafted him to be a backup receiver and big-time special teams performer. I think he played one snap on special teams his rookie year. That's how good he was. And the thing that always impressed me with Terry in the spring of his rookie year, he was running what looked to be good routes, but he's going up against veteran cornerbacks, Dominique Rogers, Cromartie, Josh Norman, who knew how to read receivers. He wasn't getting open. And so he spent time talking to those guys about why, you know, what basically, what am I tipping off? And they would tell him things that like change the tempo of the routes, et cetera. So, that's the end of the spring in OTA. You know, you know, that's about mid-June, right? So you got a six-week break before training camp starts. He comes back to training camp, a different receiver. They could not cover him in that first training camp. It is just like, oh my God, this guy's going to be really good unless we are just getting completely conned by what we see. They didn't play him that preseason because they didn't want teams to know how good he actually had become. He opens up with a hundred-yard game, should have had with Decent quarterback play should have had probably about three or four 100 yard games in his first five or six. He was that getting that open and creating that many opportunities. And sometimes it was they didn't see him. They just missed him, whatever. But he should have had more than what he did because he was getting that wide open. So his work ethic has really transformed him as a receiver. And he continues. He's a guy that the money is not going to change. Money can change guys, as you know that, right? Yeah. And money, the money's not going to change how he takes his approach um, as far as, hey, this year I, I need to improve on this. I'm going to go do this. Last year it was working on his releases from the line. So he went out and worked out with Doug Baldwin, former Seattle receiver, who was good at that and, you know, spent several days out there working on that. So he is, he, you know, and, and so I think that story and the fact that when you listen to him speak, every answer is a minute long and very thoughtful. And, he, you know, it could be any topic and he's going to have a thoughtful reply. So all of that combined has made him extremely popular here to the point where I had people telling me if they'd all the stuff that's happened here, Dan, you we all know all the stuff that's happened. here. Even if you're a casual fan, you know, the issues that Washington has had fans would tell me if they don't resign him, I'm done. That's how big it became to sign them. So I think his value went up here compared to some other places where if he had been a free agent, just because of his popularity with the fan base and what he meant to the franchise as a face of the franchise. So, you know, he, so that's, that's where he is. And he's a leader and all that with Curtis Samuel, the, the um, interesting thing with him, oh, not the inter- you're right. It's all about health. And last year, because they signed him and then he had a groin injury in the, in the spring, had the hernia surgery, a couple of things that didn't, in, they, they felt like maybe he rushed back a little bit early in the summertime or that they, you know, that they needed to take a little bit slower with him and they didn't, um, and he didn't. So I think it was a combination of things. They thought he was further along than he was, and it set him back a little bit. He goes out and plays a game several weeks in the season plays him a little bit too much because of injuries to other guys and that set him back. And so it was an in and out, in and out. We never saw the Curtis Samuel that they saw certainly at Ohio state or in Carolina, because he just, he didn't see that. You didn't see that explosiveness. Even when he got, had the ball, you just didn't see it. Now you're starting to see more of that. Like he's been, he's, he's taken some days off in practice because he's 
They want to be very, very, very cautious with him. And, you know, whether or not he can get through the season, we'll see. But he looks more like himself this summer. And what he does for this offense is that versatility, running back, receiver, they can go, you know, and I'm giving you as you as a Dallas fan a little scouting report because they can go three receivers with him, put Dot, Jahan Dotson, Penn State kid. We saw the one-handed grab. McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, J.D. McKissick, very good third down back, and a pass-catching tight end. And then you can line up McKissick and Samuel in the backfield. Who Will they one of them get the ball? Are you creating a mismatch for on a pass route? Those kind of things. That's what Samuels does when he's healthy. And, you know, um, so and so far he looks good when he's moving. He's had some cuts. He, he's more, you know, he, he's sharp cuts and all that. So I think, you know, I, I if I talking to a commander's fan, I would say, listen, he'll be there for the season opener. Beyond that, I don't know what's going to happen. But if he stays healthy, he's a big plus for this offense. I was at a wedding back home recently and was trying to explain to someone how much better of a college player Terry uh, Curtis was than Terry. And he couldn't even get his mind around it. The people who aren't college football fans, they can't even grasp that. All right, John. Like last thing, because on Terry, like I remember I had him on for the DC alumni club last year. I, I hosted this event. Um, and they had they brought on Terry McLaurin, and I asked him a bunch of questions. So I'm going through his senior year highlights, and there weren't a lot that didn't that involved the offense. And mm-hmm. there were a couple, like the Maryland catch, but he had the one catch against Michigan where he picked up a first down the sidelines, and he bowled over a defender, gets the fi- sidelines fired up. It was early in the game, and um, that like, but that's the kind of guy he was in college, right? And I didn't realize Dan how fast he was until he mm-hmm. ran at the combine because. You didn't always see it because there was so much other stuff around that offense um, that, you know, it was a surprise to me to see like, oh, my gosh, he's really fast. I mean, the first time I saw Terry McLaurin, I've told this story many times, was the summer before his senior year of high school. He was uh, here for one of their huge camps. He had not been offered yet. And he, uh, you know, how they they invite guys into the WAC um, for a little special work. And it was the number one guy there that day was Eric Glover Williams. Okay. Mm. That was their number one target. And he ran routes with Paris Campbell, Mike Gesicki, mm. and Terry McLaurin. They offered everybody but McLaurin and told him to go back and have a good senior year and see what he could do. So it's been tremendous to see his rise. And uh, like has been said many times, it could not happen to a better dude. I mean, if you want to have an emblem of your program out there or as kind of just your, your he's, he's as solid as it gets. All right, John, we're going to finish with this. I've had several requests. If you can look over John's right shoulder, if I can do my turn myself around and figure it out, that is the national championship over Miami. Please tell everybody what you were doing and your impression of the play and why. It was called the way it was accurately or not accurately. Well, I was at a, we were, my wife and I were at a sports bar in, um, in DC and there were probably about a thousand, it was in Bethesda. I think it was, it was probably about a thousand fans there. And there were probably five people rooting for Miami because they were just um, Miami. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were just being counter. Like they, they didn't have any Miami stuff on you screw them. Right. But so you see it. And I kept thinking, I like watching that game. You, you keep thinking like, 
they're going to win this game. They can play with, they can, they can hang with them enough to somehow pull it off. So my first thought was, this isn't supposed to happen. You know, it's not supposed to happen. Now, when you go back and watch the play, it's the correct call. It was slow in calling it, you know, but the other thing is, if you remember before the end of, here's the thing I always go back to and tell the Miami Yahoos that you go back to late in the fourth quarter. If they call the holding penalty, when Chris Gamble's running a route, the game's over in regulation. They're not punting. Like that's a, if you remember that there was I think it was a third down, and unfortunately Dan Fouts didn't really talk about that on the air. And yes, I sound like a massive Ohio State fan now, but that was that was a crucial. There's a reason business. for that, right? But that was a, like they. I have pictures of Gamble's jersey being tugged like this. Like that's the call that to me, if you if they lose that game, that's the call that should be discussed. Now I do think like if they hadn't called the penalty on that, I'm probably like, well, okay. But when you go back and watch it, there was definitely some level of holding in hands yet. And they called a similar penalty on Ohio State, I think, in the subsequent in the next series. So it wasn't like it was this egregious call. I think it was just like there was a second delay or two seconds, whatever it was. But I, 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 of course, think it was the right call. But I go back to if you make the right call in regulation, the game is over. And there you have it, people. He's a fine Buckeye. We appreciate him dedicating over 30 minutes of his time today. We had to go a little early because he has to get out to practice. And we appreciate him stopping by. Note this. We are very well aware there has been an injury to Evan Pryor. I don't want to give away any details on that as yet as we have not gotten the uh, final confirmation. But the guys will be at practice today. Uh, Practice open. So there will be clarity on that at some point in the very near future. We haven't avoided it. But... um, We appreciate you guys stopping by. Once again, John covers the commanders for ESPN, and he's the best in the business. Um, We'll have him on here again to talk Buckeyes during the year as we're going to try and get a rotating thing here on Tuesdays where we get people who really love the Buckeyes to come in here. And um, it's going to be a glorious year, so he's going to be along for the ride. We appreciate everybody stopping by. Have a good one, Bucknutters. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.